0: From what I understand, Amanda, you are focused on sober coaching. Mm -hmm. What does that even mean?
1: Yes. So I work with particularly women, but some men who want to live an alcohol-free lifestyle, but the kind of standard paths to sobriety do not resonate with them. So they know they don't need addiction recovery support. They don't need AA. They don't need 12 steps. They don't need rehab. But they know that they drink more than they want to. And drinking is such a stigmatized and normalized thing in our society that it's really confronting to give that up. And they also have a sense that there's something other than drinking that is coming up as an issue, but they can't pinpoint it. So I work with people who want to elect to be sober and really want to dig in there and get under the relationship with alcohol to figure out what are they hiding from actually? Like what's the real issue there that's causing them to turn to alcohol as a buffer or something to numb with. And there's always something really interesting under there. So I really enjoy doing the work because it's allowing people to open up and be their most authentic, actualized self.
0: Why do you think people are in that sober state and why are so against the other known methodologies like AA?
1: Mm-hmm. Now, I first want to say, I think that AA is completely valid. I think that
0: traditional recovery is absolutely
1: great for people who that resonates with them or they need and require it. I quit drinking seven years ago, and I looked at that path because it's the only path that we're fed. Everyone is like, oh, if you want to quit drinking, then you must be an alcoholic. Go to AA. And I took the quiz. I asked my therapist. I did all of the steps to figure out, is this the path I should take? And all of them said no but the problem was the only other option was just figure out how to moderate alcohol because you don't have a problem and my soul was telling me something different my soul was saying amanda you have an opportunity that's meant to be expressed in this world and you can't do it with alcohol in the way and Mm -hmm. i was looking for a teacher a coach a program anything to teach me how to quit drinking if i didn't have a problem Mm -hmm. and most people even my therapist legitimately said to me, "Amanda." you don't have a problem. You don't rate on the scale. I think that you should just drink less. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, that's not what I want to do. So I started to create a framework for myself where I was using self-help tools. I was using spirituality tools and really leaning into what I felt resonated most with me. And then I started to attract people who wanted something similar. They knew that they didn't have a problem with alcohol, but because there's no one else out there at this time, this was seven years ago almost, talking about choosing sobriety as a path just because you want to feel better, you want to express yourself in the most authentic way, you want to really be able to dive in and create a spiritual connection of your own understanding. These weren't resources that were available. And so I think that people are craving now, this has become a popularized topic of giving up alcohol. And some people can just quit and that's okay. But a lot of people dig in and find out, hey, it's not alcohol that's my problem. It's alcohol that's my ineffective solution to some other problem that I have. And so what they're really wanting is someone to coach them through these other problems that they have no idea what they are because they've been running from them this entire time, you know, and hiding from them with alcohol. So
0: you're not talking to people who are necessarily addicts. You're talking to people but saying, I know I'll open that bottle of wine, get one drink or two or whatever over, over the week. Yeah. Uh, basically, it'll be three drinks, let's say, on an average over the week. So I don't really rate on the scale because yeah. like, oh, that's okay. You can do two drinks, three drinks a week. It's fine. I don't know if that actually qualifies anything, but it's my imagination. Yeah, exactly. That's like, okay, fine. You had two drinks in a week. What's the big deal, right? And Or, or something like that. And you go, but let's say those people want to quit. Mm-hmm. How do you help them and where do they go? And you found this space where you're helping individuals that may be in that situation. Why do you think these people or individuals like that would go, I don't want to even have two drinks? Yeah. Is there there something that's a trigger there?
1: Yeah, there is. So what you're describing is what we now call gray area. So they're gray area drinkers. They're not drinking at the extremes of you know needing rehab. And they're also not a one drink every now and then type of drinker. They're someone who's having a glass or two of wine every night. Maybe sometimes that turns into a bottle or they're kind of sober through the week. And then on the weekend, they kind of party and go crazy. Mm. And they're finding, that there's something inside of them that is saying there's something more to life. And I feel like I'm holding myself back. And this is my internal narrative. And most of my clients repeat this to me. I feel like I'm in for something bigger in life. I feel like I have something that's just out of grasp and I can't figure out how to get it. And I'm just sensing that alcohol is the thing getting in my way. Even though I don't have a problem, even though I'm not drinking any more than the other people around me, I know that there's something within me that a spark that needs to be lit and alcohol is keeping me from getting there. And that's kind of the general consensus of what I felt and what most of my clients are coming to me with, that they know that they have a potential that's in them that cannot be expressed until they're a full, clear vessel for actualizing that potential.
0: Mm. So as you're speaking to these individuals, and Mm. I would imagine a lot of our listeners probably will fall in the category where there's a glass of wine or so every night type of situation. What is it that you found is happening for them? Mm-hmm. Like, w- what is it that's getting them to open that and have a glass of wine every night? Yeah. What's the What's the need oh. that is getting fulfilled there?
1: Yeah, this is a tricky one because so many times we tell ourselves, "Oh, it's just because I want to relax," or "This is I just enjoy a glass of wine." And under almost all the time under that is a desire to feel, achieve a certain feeling, or avoid a feeling that's impermissible or that we don't know how to handle. So sometimes that feeling is stress. Sometimes that feeling is anxiety. Sometimes that feeling is boredom within your life. Sometimes that feeling is rage and anger. Sometimes it's overwhelm with work. And because these are people typically who are high achievers, go-getters, everything on the outside looks great. They've been taught to kind of like put on a smiley face and make sure everyone sees the facade. They don't know how to express anger, rage, sadness, grief, whatever it is that's coming up for them. And so instead of, Figuring that out, they just go to the quickest fix that they can find. And in our society, that's alcohol. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's always an impermissible emotion they're trying to avoid. Or sometimes a state, sometimes even a happy state that they're trying to reach and they're trying to shortcut to. Because they also don't have the skills to regulate towards that emotion.
0: Mm. Do you think it's the same with for states where it's allowed? Of course, it's not allowed in the state that we're talking about it, mm-hmm. but there are certain states that allowed, weed is becoming the same thing. Mm.
1: You know, that's a hard one because I don't have a full frame for that, but I think that you could definitely make the case for it, right? Depending mm-hmm. upon, I definitely feel that there's medicinal purposes, and so we'll set that one aside, but right? That's not right. recreational that's not the... use. You're talking
0: about the recreational yeah. users and they're smoking every night.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and this is just how I relax or... No, no, that's how you cheat. That's not real relaxation. Real relaxation is achieved through you regulating your nervous system. And the more that we convince ourselves that we can't do something on our own, the more that we damage our self-esteem in other areas of our life and tell ourselves that we can't do other things. And so it just becomes this like rapid decline. And so, yeah, anything that becomes habitual that you're using to escape weed, social media, food, sugar, alcohol certainly is, it's a shortcut. And it's an, an again, an ineffective solution to the real problem, which, which is you want to calm down your nervous system. So what if you learned to do that yourself because you're an extremely powerful person? Mm. You know, what if you just tried to figure out how to manage those emotions on your own? And most people just like the shortcut, but mm. the shortcut is almost always fake because if it worked, then you wouldn't need the shortcut in the future.
0: That's true. If you needed a glass of wine every night means you're depending on the glass of wine to do something for you. Yeah. There was a point of my life where I was actually like on the scale I would be an alcoholic because Mm -hmm. I would finish a bottle of whiskey in the Mm -hmm. night, (laughs) not just a bottle of wine. Oh, that's championship level. Yeah, yeah. So I I was a champion at a point in my life. Fortunately for me, I was able to quit core turkey. So Mm -hmm. I was able to do that. And thankfully that happened at that point that happened in my life. And then came those seasons. And Mm -hmm. that's why I was so curious about what you talk about is those seasons where it's like, oh, it's just a glass of wine. Yeah. And it's just a glass of wine. I mean, it's it's good for your heart. That's what the scientists say, Mm -hmm. right? That's why I'm drinking it. And I realized that every time, I mean, I do drink once in a while. Mm -hmm. It's not that I don't drink, but it's like really once in a while. Right. And I'm like, oh, I only find myself—and this is where I'm kind of also asking this as a question—is I found myself drinking, uh, if I am drinking, most commonly where I do not want to drink but I still drink is at parties. Mm -hmm. And I haven't found an effective solution to why—or even effective diagnosis of why it happens that only at parties, for whatever reason— I would end up with, and it's not like I drink. Right. I uh, like maybe two beers. Maybe you, have, you indulge Two beers, in two kombuchas, totally. whatever it is, you know, the hard kombuchas or, mm-hmm. or beers. And I would take that and I would be like, why am I drinking it? I don't even like it. Like, yeah. it's like I'm at that place where I'm like, I don't even like the taste of this mm-hmm. thing that I'm drinking, except maybe hard kombuchas, they're really delicious. But other than that, but I'm like, why am I drinking it? Yeah. Like, I don't want to, mm-hmm. but I would like, it would be like the first hour I won't. And the second hour it always will be like, okay, I have to open a drink. Yeah. What is it? Like, what have you found with individuals like myself? Which yeah. I think is probably more of your clients, which are people mm-hmm. like me or like, I don't even know why I'm drinking this, yeah. but I am.
1: Absolutely. And you're a high achiever. You know, you are yeah. out there, serial entrepreneur, go-getter, kicking ass in life. Hopefully I can say curse words. And yeah, you can. Everything. There's a couple things. So maybe there's a little part of you that, doesn't fully believe that you're deserving of success. And that's a very like sly little one that gets in there. And so Mm -hmm. what can you do to just pull yourself and humble yourself a little? But then specifically in a social situation, it's what are you, if you could get to, okay, maybe you say you make it like an hour into the event. Can you think of anything? Is it someone offering you a drink? Is it like, do you start to kind of like, have like Pavlov's dog type thing where you just kind of salivate for it? And the answer Mm -hmm. sounds like no, because you don't like the taste. So... Can you think of any sort of like consistent thing that comes up at that hour point when you decide to have a drink?
0: I think it's because everybody's having one Mm -hmm. or everybody that I'm talking to has something in their hand. Yeah. And that's, I think it's also like a grander social problem. Like Mm -hmm. we feel like we don't, and I'm just saying out loud, I have no idea if this is true or not, but I feel like you're not a part of the group Mm -hmm. if you're the one person that does not have a drink Mm -hmm. in their hand while everybody else does. Yeah. So I think that's what triggers me opening a can.
1: Mm -hmm. Do you identify at all as an empath or someone who really senses? Okay. So what if it could be that in those moments, you sense that everyone else is very comfortable because they're drinking and that maybe there's a level where your hypersense is coming in and you're like, oh... I wonder if I'm making them feel bad because I'm not doing what they're doing. Mm. And more often than not, people pleasers and empaths, what they say is they'll cave at the point where they realize that maybe their abstinence is making other people feel left out or feel like they're doing something wrong or immoral. Mm. And so maybe they're like holier than thou, better than, or, you know, or whatever, And so often people who are those people pleasers and empaths will go ahead and have the drink, even though they don't want it and they don't like the taste because they're falling back on their goal is less important to them than other people feeling uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so there's that. And then there's the, you know, alcohol has a vibrational frequency. Everything does, but alcohol's vibrational frequency is low. It's a depressant. And so if you're in a room with everyone and they kind of start to go down here, but you're still up here, that's uncomfortable because it's incongruent. So you can either become comfortable with being up here, even though everyone else is like this, or you can dilute yourself to that level. And that's not saying like going down to their level, like it's not bad or wrong that they're drinking, Mm -hmm. but energetically, if you're in a different space, frequency, yeah, you you start to get bored, right? Mm -hmm. Your conversational capacity is not a match for this. Mm -hmm. You're just the way that you're feeling isn't a match. So you either figure out how to be uncomfortable and be not congruent, or you make yourself congruent. And I I feel like that's what most people are doing, is unconsciously trying to get at the level. You know, you could call it FOMO, or you don't want to miss out, or you want to do what everyone else is doing, but you could fake it and have a a regular kombucha and see if that helps. But if not, then I would say that it's kind of this urge to be on the same energetic frequency as everyone
0: else, even though that's lower than where you're at. Mm. What was it for you? What did you find as you were saying, hey, I don't even want to open that glass of wine. Mm-hmm. Just energetically, I feel like this is not good for me. Yeah. What was it that was really happening for you? What, mm-hmm. what did you find within yourself yeah. that you said, oh, this is why I'm doing it?
1: Yeah. I mean, all of those things that I've said, but I, you know, when I started kind of getting the urge, the sober curiosity, the, the questioning of should I really be drinking? I started on a spiritual path. And so I was reading Wayne Dyer, Marion Williamson, Gabby Bernstein, and I really believed that I could have the life that they were teaching about. I really felt it in my soul. And so I started doing all these pieces of the puzzle, but nothing really clicked. Nothing was, it, it just, it felt like I was passing the goal somehow. And I realize now that, you know, the way that I grew up, the way that I have always achieved, it's always, I've always held myself back a little bit. And I've always felt different from all the other kids. You know, I was an empath at a young age, but I didn't have, I lived in the Midwest. I, people, Mm -hmm. I lived in like podunk middle of nowhere. We didn't have language for that. So I just thought I was a little weirdo. And so I found the different ways to get on the same level as the other kids were to put on a mask, put on a facade and play the part. And I was really good at that. But then it became harder and I had to keep doing more things to play the part. So alcohol was one of those things. And yet what I was really doing was just doling down and diluting my authentic self. And... That was effective to help me like fit in with the group of peers that I was with. So that's the reason I was doing it was to fit in, to be like everyone else, to be, you know, I thought that the epitome of a sexy, successful young woman was Carrie Bradshaw. And what did Carrie Bradshaw do, but drink a martini? And so I was doing this act that I thought was going to make me cool, fun, popular, fit in, not weird. And what it did was just eat away at my authenticity. And that started to hurt. So you didn't ask this, but the reason I I got Mm -hmm. called to stop was, I just kept having this internal nudge that I was made for something bigger and that I was meant for a different type of life and that I was meant to vibrate at a higher frequency and that all these things were available to me that I was learning and literally one day I'm in the shower and I hear this like download come through and it says Amanda you are meant to do big things in this world but I can't see you doing them with alcohol in the picture and I freaking felt that like felt like so much I'm like I had to get down on the shower floor mm-hmm. and I just knew at that point Alcohol was not something I could screw with anymore. As much as I was worried about all of the opposite things coming true about, yes, being a weirdo, not fitting in, being, you know, whatever I was afraid of, I knew that there was something else, even though I didn't know what it was, that was so much better that I had to give it a try. And that voice was right because everything in my life has completely changed since alcohol has been out of the picture.
0: What has been different?
1: Yeah great question. My friendships are more congruent because I choose to hang out with friends who were always or all on the same level or pretty close to the same level. They're more fulfilling. I'm a better friend. I don't think I was a very good friend at all when I was drinking. I was always kind of self-consumed and just unaware of how to show up. Emotionally, I have learned how to sit with and be with my emotions rather than just bypass them with drinking, which was Mm -hmm. a really important skill. You know, Mm -hmm. I spiritually am able to connect with my higher calling. I just period, period. I don't Mm -hmm. think that I was doing it before because Mm -hmm. it's, you're always connected to spirit. You know, I don't know what specifically you believe, but I believe there's always a connection there. Mm -hmm. But when you drink, you muffle it. So it's like you're on a tunnel on a cell phone. You're not getting the message to and fro properly. Mm -hmm. So my spiritual connection has increased. My entrepreneurial drive and my ability to manifest the things that I desire, they've all just come to me so rapidly and so with so much more ease where before I felt like I was really struggling. Mm-hmm. And life just has become easier and better and more joyful. Mm-hmm. And for me, could I moderate now? Could I have a glass of alcohol here and there? Sure, probably. But because I know what it's like to fully vibrate at that higher frequency, I just don't want to screw with it. So it's just Mm -hmm. not important to me anymore.
0: Mm. And do you find it harder to socialize because of that? Or do you feel that that has made no difference to your life?
1: I mean, I have to purpose at it more, if that's even a sentence. I really have to put Mm -hmm. effort into it because left to my own devices, sometimes I would, you know, introvert in and just stay at home. It's required me to face that awkward teenager that was still inside of me that I had kind of buried her down for a decade or so. But... Overall, I, you know, choose to just go to social activities where alcohol isn't an issue. And, you know, in Austin, like, that's not too hard to find. And in Mm -hmm. other places, I managed to find it well enough. And I really am more intentional about my social interactions so that Mm -hmm. fewer of the things that I do revolve around alcohol. And the ones that do, I just really limit the time because I find that the situations are just boring now. And Mm -hmm. it's not that I'm boring. It's that I was making myself kind of stupid so that I could Mm -hmm. tolerate these not really engaging situations. And so if there's a situation that has a ton of alcohol involved, typically what I'll do is I'll try and go for a while. And then once that vibrational thing starts to happen, I'm just like, Mm. okay, this is time Mm. for me to leave. I'm not connecting anymore.
0: Mm. Interesting. Interesting. I'm not saying right or wrong. It's just interesting to me more so because I'm going, how does relationships work? I'm trying to project i've never really yeah. thought of being completely sober mm-hmm. again it has it's it was a challenge in my life at a point point, 100 and then yeah. i did become completely sober for a short period of time and now i would drink whatever whenever once in a while but i'm, I'm trying to say okay does relationally does that disconnect us from certain people that we care about mm. does that Has that happened for you, you know? Because let's say you have a really good friend Mm -hmm. um, and it's their birthday party Mm -hmm. and they haven't made that decision. They've just been like, you know, daytime, they're completely sober, but it's their birthday. They made a decision to say, I'm going to drink today. Would that really affect your relationship or would you just brace on in that time? What would you do?
1: You know... A birthday is a special occasion. So let's say it's just a Thursday and they decide Mm -hmm. to have a drink. I would ask, based on your experience, do you think that you have the same level of connection with someone after they've had three or four drinks? No, you you just have more stupid
0: stories to tell (laughs) and more stupid stories to make. That's all it is. Yeah, so... You would do dumb shit together. uh Right.
1: And while there is bonding in that, there's not true vulnerability because true vulnerability comes from your soul. It doesn't come Mm -hmm. from loosening up or having liquid courage, Mm -hmm. right? And so for me, it's this um, fallacy that we've created in our society that that's what connection is built on, is having Mm -hmm. a couple of drinks and bonding around Mm -hmm. this experience. So for me, true connection is about depth and not amount of time spent or not just face time. It's about, okay, what can we really do and how can we really connect on a soul level when we're together? And like it or not, alcohol puts us at this other vibrational frequency. It kind of takes us out of our body. Actually, I know that that's not the truest level of connection because now so much of my connection is built on really, really mostly sober moments with my friends. And I would rather have one sober minute with someone than three drunk hours because Mm -hmm. the quality is better than that quantity of just FaceTime for me. Like, I'll give you an example. When I first stopped drinking, I did have some friendships that Um, I had just moved to Austin. I'd only lived here a year. So most of my friendships were built out on Rainy Street or out at the bars, you know, kind of out in the five o'clock and after happy hour crowd. And I said to myself, wow, you know, I just put in all this work to make these friendships. I wonder if they'll stick around or if I'll even be interested in friendships with these people. And I tried to go out to the bars for a while and kind of just be like the hip sober girl who's still went out. And started to feel really boring to me. Like it just didn't stimulate me energetically to be out at the bar. Mm -hmm. But my friends, without me asking, started showing up. I was I started working out a lot. So I was at the gym every morning at like 6am. And they started showing up at the gym with me. And we barely talked because you're in like this workout class situation. So you're just basically warm bodies, very warm bodies next to one another. But I felt that the connection in those moments just were together, not even really talking or doing anything was stronger and better than the five hours we would have spent out at the bar Friday night. So it was just about like energy for me and feeling mm-hmm. in a supportive presence with a person versus how much we're hanging out and bullshitting or whatever. Like there's value to that, of course, but I found that the deeper connection and the the hard moments where you have to like reach inside of your soul to come up with a story to tell, or you have to have that awkward moment of silence because you're not just rambling on because you've been drinking, those are where my friendships became deeper. And that was really important to me. So not that one way is wrong or better than the other. I just found that from being able to see both sides personally... One way just provided way more value for me.
0: I agree on that. I think friendships are built on experiences. Mm-hmm. If you can have intense experiences with someone, you will tend to have a greater bond with the person. Right. And that can be done by hiking a mountain. That can mm-hmm. be done by getting pissed drunk mm-hmm. uh, three hours for six nights or whatever is the path to whatever is the hard moment for you and then getting caught by cops and then telling that story for the rest of your <laughs> life. Uh, this is this a but, personal uh, yeah. experience we need to
1: talk about here?
0: No, but... <laughs> But yeah, close to it. Close to it in my times of not really realizing what I was doing. But I do believe that experiences create friendships. Mm -hmm. And some of my deepest friendships are experiences that we had in circumstances that we had that was... So difficult at some level that both of us could feel each other's pain mm-hmm. as we were going through that experience. Workout yeah. being a very easy way to get to mm-hmm. it. Because, I mean, if it's a hard workout, you're going to feel the pain. Oh, yeah, and both totally. of you are going to feel the pain. Yep. And after that, you'll be like, that girl was crazy. Uh, or <laughs> that guy was crazy. That person's mad at someone. This yeah. is how they made us work out today. Right? So that's definitely... Something that can be manufactured, not manufactured, mm-hmm. but that, that can be generated or created without the experience of alcohol, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to advocate for alcohol. I'm just curious because I would think that somebody who is listening to this right now yeah. is going, why do I need to quit? Mm-hmm. Right? Why, why should I slow down even if I want to slow down? Right. And, and I feel the more aligned we get with ourselves, easier it becomes to not drink. Mm hmm. At least that's my experience of it. Yeah. Is that I drink less and less the more I'm comfortable with the person. Mm -hmm. Like I don't need to drink to talk to someone. Totally. The more comfortable I am talking to them because then it's like, you know, and that's why the only thing that I'm really challenged by is a social setting. Mm -hmm. It's a social setting and I don't know why but inevitably I would pick up a drink. Yeah. At some point in that journey. And Mm -hmm. it probably is because like you said, If everybody's vibrating at a lower frequency, intuitively I'm going, oh, I need to be at that level. Mm -hmm. And so I will pick up a beer or I will pick up a drink of some sort. And I just need to get aware of it and be, okay, what else can we do here? Or what is it that we can do still to interact with the two people that might not be vibrating at a lower level, you know, that are still present to what's happening. So that's an interesting perspective. When you work with your clients, Mm -hmm. do you find it to be a tough, Path for them to find a way to stop drinking alcohol? Mm-hmm. Is that discovery a difficult discovery?
1: Sometimes, you know, most of the people who come to me are certain. So they're not in that moment. I'm not here to persuade anyone, right? I'm not here to, you know, advocate for everyone to. I'm not like trying to do away with alcohol. You know, that's not my goal. But my goal is for that person who, like me and like my other clients, senses that they're meant for something more and senses that alcohol is in the way that it no longer has a place, it's screen with their frequency, you know, whatever it is that they are resonating with, that decision, kind of, you, you make the decision. And it's still difficult because there still is this like little lingering story from your ego of, well, how are you going to socialize? Or how are you going to, you know, go on dates? How are you going to relax after a long day? What about at a wedding? What about on a vacation? What if you go to Italy? There's all of these, like, this reel in your head that will convince you rationally. Mm -hmm. It sounds really rational that you cannot do life without alcohol. And yet, if you start to confront and ask questions to that voice, if you start to really rationalize, okay, well, is that true? And, or... Am I willing to just see how good life could be on the other side if I got this thing out of the way and then not just abstain, but really dug in and got to the core of where have I been stunting my growth? Where have I left something on the table? Where am I not properly resourced to show up as my fullest, authentic, most self-actualized self? And so, yeah, removing alcohol is difficult still for them, even if they want to, because there's still that real in their head that's telling them, oh, no, this is crazy. You're going to get rejected from society. You're going to become an outcast. You don't have what it takes to show up. And my job as a coach is to help them recognize that and then help them rewrite the story and also help them get the resources that they need to confront social anxiety, confront all of these emotions that they don't know how to deal with. And I think from that perspective, once you gain those skills, you gain confidence. And when you have confidence and you're sure of yourself, alcohol then becomes insignificant. And so it doesn't become something that you want to try and figure it out. And yeah, it is a hard journey because again, there are all of these, not only our internal voice, but everyone around us. Alcohol is romanticized in American culture and... It, everywhere. Yeah, every, yeah, yeah, true enough, yeah. everywhere. Um, I can really only speak to our culture in America. Especially with but, the season
0: that's coming yeah. right now. It's like we're recording this around Christmas. Yeah. It's like everybody wants to drink some wine.
1: Yep, exactly. Or like, at
0: least it's sad to drink some wine.
1: Yeah. yeah, and it's just something that goes... It's We use it to dull our pain as much as we do to like elevate a celebration in our mind. And really, it's the mindset work to shift that mindset and believe that you are powerful and even more powerful and capable than you give yourself credit for. And you don't need this extra crutch in your life. And when you get that level of confidence that you are powerful beyond measure, then it starts to become easier. And as I started to conquer, and as as clients that I work with start to conquer these little situations that they've before said are impossible, that's where the confidence comes from. And that's when it starts to become easy. It's like, You know, when you go to the gym for the first time, doing a pull-up isn't easy. Um, But after you do a couple reps and you keep practicing, then it's like, oh, I've got pull-ups, no big deal. And that's the Mm -hmm. same thing with alcohol or anything that you're trying to overcome. Mm -hmm. Is you just have to get in there and and do the reps and gain the the muscle memory and gain the strength. And then you realize how powerful you are. And that's pretty badass.
0: Once you start honoring what you said you're going to do, Mm -hmm. there's nothing more powerful and more powerful in giving you this amount of self-esteem that it gives every single time. You say what you're going to do and you actually do it. Yeah. So I think that there's tremendous amount of power in there for sure. Do you know Neil Brennan? He's a comedian and he just had a special come out called Blocks. Okay. And he talks about how he struggles because he does not drink mm. and he doesn't smoke. It okay. just does weird things to him. He's like, I don't do it. Yeah. He's not into it. He's totally like, I've tried. This doesn't work for me. Yeah. Right. And the thing that he he talks about is how awkward it is for him to go on dates. He's a single man mm-hmm. and he's always been single all his life because default for a date mm-hmm. is to loosen up or however yep. you want to call it. Yep. To order a couple of glasses of mm-hmm. wine. Yeah. Right. And so it's interesting. Yeah to kind of lean into that and go, oh, okay. Because let's say I've never struggled with that, right? I was like, okay, sure, a glass of wine. But it could be for somebody who Mm -hmm. is single and now goes on a date. Are you with someone right now?
1: I'm not. I've been single a lot of my sober journey. And I Mm -hmm. feel also, this is one that I know really well. This is a frame that I I have pretty, I'm pretty comfortable with. Because I didn't start dating until I had already started drinking. And I was an ugly duckling, like not I, I just had very low self-confidence as a teenager. And so all of my formative romantic experiences were sponsored by Liquid Courage. So I did not <laughs> know what the hell I was doing when I stopped drinking at 31 years old and then had to figure out how to go on dates. And that awkward teenage girl, she was still right here, ready to rumble, right? Yeah. And so I had to figure out, okay how do I do this in a way that feels authentic for me? And also, you know, I want to find a partner. So how do I set myself up for success? And so for me, going out on dates with people, with men who were still kind of in their Peter Pan party boy phase, that didn't feel congruent. I tried it, and didn't work out so well. And so I started realizing, okay, a date is about connection. It's an interview with potentially your partner. And so I would never go to an interview and drink, even though I'm nervous and uncomfortable. Like that's Mm -hmm. not going to show my best self. And I'm not also going to be able to get the best version of the person sitting across from me. So I really started to optimize for how can I go on dates where the other person knows that I don't drink, they're not intimidated by it, they actually see it as a value add. And they're willing to go on a date with me where we're not drinking. We're doing some sort of alternate activity. And if they don't know what that is, I'm happy to suggest. And so I kind of just like bunked the old system. And like, I'm not meeting for drinks. I'm not doing those things because I want to have a true connection with this person. So I want to do everything I can to optimize for that, even if this is not my forever person. And so as I started to put little pieces into place to make sure that they understood that I'm not drinking, they're okay with it. They maybe see it as a plus, and they're willing to jump in and be uncomfortable with me, my dating life became so much better than it was during my 20s. I just, even on dates that weren't good or dates that didn't turn into anything, I still had a meaningful connection with the person. And I thought, I think that was better than anything I could have hoped for. And so, yeah, I think it's better for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So you tell them up front. Oh, yeah, totally. And it doesn't... Does it take away some people that you're like, oh, I would really would have liked to talk to this person or get introduced to this person? Have you ever felt like you're like, oh, shit, because I don't drink, this happened?
1: No, because if my person will understand it and their mm-hmm. eyes will light up when they hear that I'm making this choice for myself, it won't be a, like, womp, womp, well, that's boring. Like, that's mm-hmm. not my person. And I just mm-hmm. have to trust that in my soul that mm-hmm. a person who is meant for me is not going to be so easily deterred. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, it's lowered the pool, but I also am not wasting two or three hours going out on a date with
0: someone who isn't my person. More quality for for you, exactly what you see and how you see life as. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Did it increase your productivity overall? Like you already said, your energetic frequency was (laughs) up. Uh, dramatically because if you're not drinking anymore yeah, uh, and that you're more connected to the universe, do you yep. feel that you are also more productive? You seem mm-hmm. to be a lot more healthier.
1: So when I was in my party girl phase, I was drinking Friday, Saturday, sometimes on Sunday. And my hangover, as I started to become more and more like on my spiritual path, I think I started to get more sensitive. So my hangover would last until like, let's say lightly until Wednesday. Like I just kind of was in a fog. So then you have half a Wednesday, Thursday, some of Friday that you're on online. And I didn't realize how kind of glazed over I was until I stopped drinking. And I realized, whoa, I'm creatively on fire all the time. I feel motivated and stimulated and ready to go almost always where before I didn't realize it because I'd become so accustomed to living that life. But I was probably living two or three days of my week, not at full capacity. And now, yeah, so creative, like just usually connected to creativity motivated and full of energy. I mean, I was working out at first, not that anymore, but at first I was working out like five days a week just because my body felt so vibrant and like Mm -hmm. easy to recover because I didn't have alcohol in the system. So every aspect of my life changed for the positive when I Mm -hmm. removed alcohol from
0: the picture. Does it have to be this extreme of like, I will never drink?
1: It doesn't have to, but I think that the thing that I would kind of caution is you made the reference to like, uh, they say, they say, whoever they is, that alcohol is good for your heart. So we want to have these like beliefs in our mind that alcohol does us some benefit. Like reality is you could get just as many antioxidants from a handful of blueberries-ish without the ethanol that's in alcohol. So I'm not a doctor, caveat, but let's think of your body like a funnel. And a funnel has a broad top and a very tiny base at the bottom. And so when you pour alcohol in, you'd usually put in more than can come out the tiny bottom of the funnel. And that way, you kind of always have like a reserve of the residual effect of alcohol in you. And when that happens, because that reserve is always, your body's always trying to fight off alcohol. Alcohol changes your brain neurologically, so you're less able to cope. If you always have that reserve kind of wreaking havoc on your brain and your other vital organs, then that's just not good for me. So because I know it takes actually quite a while for alcohol to dissipate from your system, even when you're not feeling hungover, it's still in there doing its thing. To me, it's just not worth it. And yes, their moderation is, I'm cool with that. I don't think you have to be at the extreme. If you want some really good knowledge on this, Andrew Huberman just did a really badass podcast on the physical effects of alcohol that talk about how it changes your body from a chemical and and neurological perspective. And just for me, I'd rather, I know what it, feels like to feel good. And I'd rather not screw with that. And so for me, that is just, I'm not going to drink at all because I don't want to operate, operate at half capacity and feel kind of foggy or feel physically icky. And yeah, so for me, it's not about like extremes. It's just about well, it is about extremes because I want to feel extremely good and I like to feel extremely good and, and my fastest way to do that is no and that's alcohol. that's perfectly
0: okay. And yeah. That's perfectly okay. I was yeah. just curious about it. And what would you say if there was somebody who's like, all right, I'm sold. I want to try or completely commit to living an alcohol-free life. What would you say are the three steps, five steps, 10 steps, four questions to ask mm-hmm. yourself yeah. to get the party started?
1: Yeah. The first question is, how would my life be better without alcohol? And just think on that. Like, how could you step into your truest potential if you didn't have alcohol in the way? The second thing I would recommend is to take a non-negotiable 90-day break just to see what it feels like. And some people do a month, you know, depending upon when this airs dry January, taking a month off during the first month of the year is super popular, but I really like to start out with 90 days. So take a 90-day break. And as you do that, start to do a little more intense self-development work than you've ever done. Start to ask yourself when you get a craving, what is it that I really need right now? What am I trying to achieve or avoid emotionally that I think alcohol is going to give me? And you're going to get a lot of answers there. And as you get more distance from alcohol and get more close to yourself, you are going to find some different things to work on. And so I always say it's great to, you know, hire a coach. Of course, I would love to work with anyone who's on that path, but they're infinite numbers of coaches out there who can support someone who's on this path, but really just asking how could my life be better without alcohol and then committing to non-negotiable 90 days where you're abstaining and you're working on yourself, I think that you will find some really powerful things happen in that 90-day period.
0: Amazing. Yeah, Thank you so much, Amanda, for coming and joining us today. How is it that somebody wants to know more about your work? Where can they go? What are some of the links? What are some of the platforms they yeah. can find you and as what?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I hang out mostly on Instagram. I'm at Amanda Kuda. My website is amanda. Can you spell it? Com. Sure. Amanda and then last name K-U-D-A. And I'd love to connect with anyone who this resonated with or that it made you feel a little uncomfortable, but you think that you maybe want to explore it a little bit. It's okay. Just come around and lurk. See what I have going on. Maybe something will speak to you and you'll know You'll know when it's time. I'm not here to persuade anyone. That's my big thing. Like you that's will know great. in your soul if this is a change that's for you.
0: Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So AmandaCuda.com. We'll link it up below the episode. So show notes, check it out. Any last thoughts? Any last message? Anything that you want to leave our audience with? Yeah,
1: I would say that If this calls to you in any way, shape or form that right now, more than ever, we need people who are awake to their potential and awakened to their soul and their calling. And for me, there's no faster way to awaken than to remove alcohol. And right now, more than ever, the world needs you awake. So I would just root for you so much, even if we've never met, even if we never meet, if that is um, a path that you're on, I really just want people to wake up to their potential. And I know that so often alcohol gets in the way of that.